Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Glad you're here this morning. This is part two of a series we're in called Counter Culture. And we are talking about, just like it sounds, countering the culture. I don't know about you, some of us feel like that arrow, right, in the video. It's like, man, the world and the culture is going this way. And yet I feel like God's word is saying go this way. And which way do I need to go? And sometimes that means we've got to stand strong and stand firm in the word. Now, before I go any further this morning, I want to say a couple things. First of all, the parents in the room, if you have kids in the room, I'm going to rate this message today PG-13 because I'm going to use the three-letter S word a bunch, okay? So I just want you to know that. So if this is one of those times where maybe we should try children's church today. I just want you to be aware of that ahead of time. So that's the first thing. The second thing this morning is that um, we are going to be all over scripture again. So I highly recommend using the app. If you've never downloaded it, it's, it, you just search Oakwood Enid in your app store, download the Oakwood app, go to sermon notes and all the scriptures and all the bullet points, all that will be right there for you this morning um, as we uh, go through this together. If you're like me and you like the paper, the paper copy version, then feel free to follow along, but get ready for a sword drill as we'll be uh, all over the text uh, this morning. You know, in, in the heart of this series is to remind us as Christians that we are sometimes called to do what's unpopular in the eyes of the world. To actually, we feel like the world's going one direction. We are actually moving against the world. And we've been talking about this uh, last week. We began talking about just a culture of life versus a culture of death. And what, what does that mean for Christians and how are we called to do those things? And I just want us to be aware, uh, and most of us are, most of us, this is like not, you know, super intuitive or something. It's just like, yeah, I mean, the culture is definitely moving away from God. As Christ followers, we are called to stand firm for his truth and stand firm uh, in the word of God. And so sometimes this is just a wake up call for Christians. And maybe now more than any other time in our lives that we must live counterculture. This morning, I want to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. This is at the end of Paul's life. He's writing to a young uh, church leader in Timothy, and he writes these words in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word, he says. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. When you read that, does that resonate with anybody today? Like, yes, I see that happening to today. Like, this is the culture today, yes, and there's even some churches that might uh, get into that, uh, saying what your itching ears want to hear, like I see that today. And here's the bottom line, is we don't form the word of God to fit us, we allow the word of God to form us to fit God's plan and design. And that's for all areas of our life. And that's why in the spirit, just like last week, in the spirit of Acts chapter 20, verse 27, I say to you, I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, every word of scripture. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Our main text this morning is Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 through 32. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there. If you're following along in the app, it should be right there for you. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 32. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians and the church in Rome. And he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, because, you know, Jesus was Jewish, and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's talking about creation there, that we can see God in creation. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Remember that. So that they they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Does this resonate with anybody today? Like, I know this was written like 2,000 years ago, but do you read something like this and go, wow, was that that in the newspaper this morning? Like, did someone do an op-ed on, like, the world today? And, like, you read that and you're like, whoa. I mean, and and, and what's funny about it, it's not just the sinfulness of it. And not just the sins that are mentioned here, but it's that the world and the society and the culture is approving of it. It's like it's like they're trying to pull away, and then the way that ends there is just they approve of those who practice them. They not only continue to do the very things that go against God, but then they approve of those who practice them. Like, hey, good job, keep it up, man. I'm tolerant. I can do it. And this is where I think Christians, especially today, we have to step in to our culture encounter it by standing on the absolute truth of the word of God. Satan is luring people away through the culture 
by attacking several things. We're, we're going to really focus on two this morning. And the first one is this. Satan is throwing people away through the culture by attacking God's intelligent design for the family unit. For most of us that read scripture and understand scripture, it, it's, it's plain as day. It can be scientifically proven as well. The father, the male, is the head of the household. He's married to a female who becomes a mother, and the two of them produce children. This is God's design for marriage, God's design for the family unit, a husband and a wife who, through their sexual union, can produce offspring and children. And this family unit that God designed from the very beginning in the book of Genesis is completely functional, it is natural, it is normal, and no one would really challenge that until recently. And now we have put, tried to put our spin on this, and a lot of it just is birthed out of sinful choices that we've made. We, we, we try to exchange things that are natural for things that seem unnatural, things that used to function well for things that would be dysfunctional if we're being 100% honest. And the culture embraces this distortion, uh, celebrates the distortion and dysfunction, celebrates it to the point that it, sometimes I just, think it's, I just think it's odd. Sometimes I just think it's, it's really, really strange to me. There's something that seems so eloquently designed and so normal is now put as something that is destructive or abnormal. This passage from Romans 1 calls this giving over to justifying it in our minds, it calls it a depraved mind. It's like a warped mind, a mind that is not functioning as God designed it, as Christ designed it, given over to a sinful lifestyle. And, and then sometimes we, we sin, and what do we do immediately? We, we justify it, right? We talked about this at men's conference a few weeks ago with Jeff Walling. He said, you know, we, we, we start moving down this path, we start thinking about it, and then we start justifying it in our mind. And then at some point, if you just keep doing that same sin pattern over and over and over again, you get to the point where you realize, yeah, I've been given over to a depraved mind. So Satan is luring people away through our culture by attacking God's intelligent design for a family unit. But it actually goes a step further and really a step deeper than that. Satan is luring people away through the culture by attacking God's intelligent design for sexuality. How the world has distorted this and now created maybe even some confusion about human sexuality and how that plays out, uh, not only in relationships, but also even into gender today, is baffling. If you had had these thoughts that, that might go there, I mean, 20 years ago, maybe let's, 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 start, let's say 15 years ago, how, how about 10 years ago? You would thought, no way. And so again, we have to go back to the truth of the scripture. And we're going to go back to something we talked about last week. And I always encourage you, you know, on these sermon series, sometimes these messages build off one another. Uh, last week, we were talking about a culture of life. We also talked about this verse in Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24 says this. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother, a man and a woman, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, let me be completely honest with you this morning. That terminology at the end of that scripture, one flesh, is very sexually explicit in nature. 
Like the, like the wording there is, is very explicit. It means they actually come together and the two become one flesh. Now, I want to point something out here, though, I, that I think is very interesting. Before there was sin, because when's the fall of man and when's his sinfulness recorded in Scripture? It's in Genesis chapter 3, right? The next chapter. So before there was sin, there was sex. It was actually there in the beginning before sin entered the world. And this one flesh idea is that the two would come together and they would have this bond that no one else could have. They would have this bondedness. I, I one time had one of our elders here at Oakwood explain to me, like when people come together in sexual union, it's like a soul tie to that person. Because of the vulnerability, because of everything that goes around that, and you know what that is. It gets to this point where it's like, there's this soul tie. That's why the two become one flesh. They literally can become one. You see, sex has a divine design and plan in Scripture. If followed, these plans lead to a great life ahead. If not, there will be awkwardness, there will be pain, and there will be suffering. And when we step outside of God's design for sex, we find out it doesn't satisfy us like we thought that it would. In fact, it leaves us being way worse off. And whether you know it or maybe even want to admit it, I think today, more than any time in history, we are being sexually discipled. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I didn't come up with that term. Uh, maybe you've, you've read that somewhere as well. Uh, Kyle Eidelman, who's the author of Not a Fan and some other books, uh, he's actually the one that I, I read that term. But I, I, I thought about it. I thought, that's, that's weird to say that today we're being sexually discipled. But, but think about it this way. What we are exposed to has a way of shaping our beliefs, determining our perspectives, and guiding our decisions. And so now, more than at any time in history, I think Christians, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. And be careful, little feet, where you go. Because the Heavenly Father has given us his design and his plan for all of this. And if we take a step in God's direction in these areas of our life, it is awesome. God has a great plan and destination for our future and our lives. We can't allow anyone in the world or in our culture as a whole to pull us any other direction than God's direction in this. Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus, the Son of God, actually dealt with some of this um, human sexuality directly. He spoke to this. He spoke to divorce. And, and in one of those passages, it's found in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus, in dealing with us directly, he said this in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. You know, how should we deal with these things? He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but now are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's kind of funny, Jesus' response here. You know, it's like, well, what, what about this? And what about that? And what about human sexuality? And what about marriage? And what about divorce? And what about these things? And Jesus says, hey, have you read Genesis chapter 2? Verse 24. I mean, he goes all the way back. That is his response. That 
there's, there's a man and, 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 and a woman that God made them male and female. There's no confusion there about that. And, and, the, and for this reason, a man should leave his father and his mother. They would, he would be united to his wife. That the two of them, when they're married, they have this sexual union. They become one flesh. You see, God intelligently designed all of this, folks even down to the male gender and the female gender. They literally are made to fit together. Our culture has now pushed back on that and said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Gender is something that you decide for yourself. God didn't intelligently design this stuff. Culture has made this a social construct now is what I would say. Like it's something that we came up with. Like we came up with the categorization and the idea of gender as humans. It's something that we placed on ourselves categorically. And so we can define it ourselves or we can redefine it ourselves. And the culture wants you to think that gender is fluid. That, it, oh, it could be this and it could be that. It's changing. And that we're just more enlightened today. And that's why it's such an issue in the culture today. But I'm here to tell you this morning that, hey, you would be a better person if you go with this gender fluidity, you'd be a smarter person. You'd be a more in touch and tolerant person if you just accept that gender is whatever a person wants to be. But let's get back to the truth of the Bible and from Scripture and see what God has to say about this. Because here's the, here's the absolute truth this morning. Gender is not based on how we see ourselves. Gender is based on how God created us. And I hate, I mean, I, I venture to say this because I know scientists and all this. Science backs this up. If you give birth to a baby today, it's a boy or it's a girl. And that gender, actually, we, we learned this last week, right? In the message last week when we were talking about life, that that, that that gender as part of the formation of a human being is actually starts in the womb. Like it's, it's, it's already decided. It's already assigned by God. And so gender isn't based on, on how we see ourselves or how we feel. Gender is based on how God created us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, this is something that maybe you're confused about or struggled with. God loves you just as you are. God loves you just as he made you, as he created you to be. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your creator, God. And he has a purpose for your life. And he has given your life an intelligent design from the intelligent designer all the way down to details like your gender. And I also want you to remember this. As Satan tries to distort this and as the culture pulls on this, a sexual impulse, a tension you feel or temptation that you feel doesn't define your identity. Okay? A sexual impulse, tension, or temptation you feel doesn't define your identity. It doesn't, it doesn't define. It, it would be really odd. I, I, I love to be out in the lobbies um, after services, between services, and, and to meet and talk to people and, and meet all of you and talk to you. And um, I don't meet you for the first time and I go, hey, I'm Eric Keller and I'm a heterosexual. You know, it's not, it's not my identity. I mean, you know, uh, I don't go to you and say, hey, I'm Eric Keller and, you know, it, it, that, that's just awkward. And yet sometimes in the culture today, it, that's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a heterosexual. I'm so-and-so, and I'm a homosexual. You know, it, and it's like this somehow wrapped up into our identity um, where we maybe have a sexual preference or maybe not even a preference, but maybe we just feel drawn towards something. 
And, and yet that, that, that is 100% our identity, you know? It's like, well, then, you know, well, we're all sinners. Maybe we say, hey, I'm Eric Keller and I'm a sinner, <laughs> you know? I mean, how, how far does this thing really go? And that's why at some points like this, we need to step back as Christians. We need to lean more and deeper into the word of God and say, hey, we are his creation. We learned this last week. We are his creation. We are made in his image. Remember we said last week, there's some language in the Bible where it says that we're human beings, but it, it, it actually more has the language and gives you the idea that we are image bearers of the almighty God. That we are the image bearers of God. And because of that, remember the commandment in Genesis also that appears where he says to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? Other human beings that are made what? In my likeness and in my image. And we are actually called by God to reproduce his divine fingerprint made in the likeness of God and to fill the earth. Now I'm here to tell you this morning, there's, there's really only one way that you can do this and that it's possible to be fruitful and to multiply his image. And that is if we stick with God's definition and purpose of gender and sexuality. We can try to redefine it. We can say it, it ain't so. We can try to surgically change it, or, but it doesn't change that we are made in his image for his purpose and that we cannot reproduce his image without not only defining ourselves by that, but by obeying scripture on it. And it's clear in the Bible. So many are confused about this and, and the culture says, hey, we're, we're even more confused about this. And I want to remind you of this. If you feel, have felt confused, you're reading this stuff and you're trying to formulate this in your mind for yourself, God's intentional, intelligent design clears up any confusion on gender or sexuality. God, scripture says, God is not a God of confusion. Satan is the confuser. Satan is called the father of lies. He's the author of confusion. He's the one that's pushing back on God's design and doesn't want us to follow the word of scripture. God is a God of clarity. He's a God of truth. And he's a God of love. Satan is a deceiver and a liar and wants to lure people away from God's intelligent design. And that's the truth. And that's what we're called to as God's people to stand on. The fact that there's no biblical example in scripture of a man becoming a woman or a woman becoming a man or any confusion there, a man marrying a man or marrying a woman or, or scripture is not confusing on these things. And that's why Jesus spoke to it directly. And he goes on to mention marriage and, and that God's purpose was that the two in the marriage context would become one flesh. And that means God's intelligent design for the family and for sex is to be between one woman and one man only in the context of a committed marital relationship. That means that sex is not for in love people. Sex is not for engaged people. Sex is not for committed to each other people. Sex is not for living together people. Sex is only for married people. And God is, again, very clear on his design and his intention for marriage. And what that means is these things are not God's plan for sex. Sex before marriage. Sex outside of marriage that we would call adultery. Pornography. Homosexuality. Casual hookups, lust even. Jesus goes that far to say, hey, lust is not going to lead you down any good path here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, Christians in a church in Corinth. Um, if you wanted to compare Corinth, like what was Corinth like you know, 2,000 years ago? It was like the United States of America today. It, just blatant immorality, and let's celebrate it, and, and they're outside of Christ. And, and listen to what he says. He says, flee. And remember, he's talking to the believers there. He says, there's, there's a pocket of believers there. He says, hey, flee from sexual immorality. Only time in Scripture it says to run away from sin and sinfulness, to flee. You guys know what it means to flee, right? Like turn and run the opposite direction. Run and run as fast as you can, right? Flee from it. That's not what we do sometimes, right? What do we do? We flirt. We don't flee. We flirt. We stay on the line. And, but here it says flee from sexual immorality. And then it says all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then he goes on. He says you can't be sinning against your own body because, look at this. He says do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. If you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, say you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and the price was the precious blood of Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute and say this. I know I've at some point so far, you have struggled with anything that I've talked about. Maybe it was sex before marriage. Maybe you, you lived with someone that you're not living with now. Maybe you end up getting married. Um, Maybe it was something else. Maybe you have had this struggle of, of sexual preferences. Maybe you had this struggle of who am I and, and the culture, and I got these people in my ear constantly encouraging me this path away from God, and I thought that was truth, and now you're reading the truth of Scripture, and I'm hearing what God says more than what the culture says, more than what I thought my friends were friends, but more than what people are telling me. And you get to this point, and you're really struggling with any of this. I know at some point you just feel down. You just feel depressed, you feel desperate, you feel like, you know, maybe you feel a little, little judged, you know, it's like, man, I feel judged by the word of, of scripture here. But I want you to offer you this, that you're not condemned. There, there may be someone that made a judgment call on you, but you are not condemned, at least not condemned yet, because you're not at the end of your life. But I want to be clear that God loves you, that God created you when you came out of the womb the way you are for his divine pleasure and purpose. And I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross for you and that the gospel message is for you. And if you don't believe that, then listen to this. It's from 1 Corinthians 6 again, but some different verses in the same text. Paul says this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers, sinners, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, thinking you can stay in your sinfulness. It says, neither the sexually immoral, and we've been over that, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I know you're like, yeah, we've, we've heard that. Yeah, okay, but listen to this. He says, and that is what some of you were. Past tense. Why? Because they became Christians. 
They, they were that. They were the sexually immoral. They were the adulterers and the idolaters and, and those that were, were greedy and, and the homosexuals and the thieves and the drunkards and the slanders. He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed in the watery grave of baptism. You were sanctified, changed to become in the likeness of Christ and more like Jesus every day. And you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you read that? It's all these people in Corinth that just accepted Christ. And they used to be all of these things. And maybe there's something on that list. You're like, that's me. He's reminding Christians here that you don't have to stay the way that you are. God's intention is not for you to stay the way that you are. Because he says, that is what some of you were. But you're not anymore. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified before God. And the only way you're justified is not being good enough, but it's being covered by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So I want to say this. Sexual sin, sexual sin is unlike any other sin. And it's not because it is more offensive to God than other sins, but it's because the damage it does to people is so extremely severe. And I know in a congregation this size this morning, there are some of you that are carrying a woundedness of something that you did in your past. And you feel like, man, yes, but it's hard to overcome. It's, it's kind of like that ghost in the closet. It just continues to seem to haunt me. In the weirdest of times, in the weirdest of ways, I'm Maybe some of you are like, I'm so far removed from that. And yet some of you are like, man, yeah, I've struggled with that. I struggled with it last night. But I would offer you this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because he's a merciful God, to offer these bodies, these temples, as a living sacrifice. Still alive, but we're going to sacrifice for God. Holy and pleasing to God, according to the word of Scripture, Holy and pleasing God, this is your true and proper worship. And then he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The culture says what? Conform to the pattern of this world. You've got to be more tolerant, okay? You've got to let people live this way and, and act this way and believe this way. And so you guys just shut up, okay? Christians, just be quiet, okay? Don't say anything. It's none of your business. How I want to live my life is fine. And, 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 and you know, no. He says, do not conform any longer. To the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed to it. What does he say then? He says, but be transformed. Transformed and made into the likeness of Christ. And then you say, okay, great. Be transformed. How? And he tells us, by the renewing of your mind. Oh, church, don't we need a little mind renewal? I mean, a lot of us, we're just sitting in our minds all the time. We don't do stuff on the outside that anybody can judge us for. We're sitting in here. <laughs> It's our thoughts. It's our bad thoughts about other people. It's our gossip that's going around in our mind. It's our slander when we're angry at people. It's the fact that we're angry at people. It's, it's all of these things. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then look at the beauty of this. How am I supposed to live my life? What's God's will? What's next for me as a believer? Look what it says here. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you'll know. You'll know how to live. You know exactly what God wants for your life. You see, the culture is waging a full frontal assault on the truth of the Word of God. 
This is so unpopular that if you went out in the public discourse and said some of these things and read some of these scriptures and proclaimed them as truth of the world, they, they would say, man, you're, you're an evil person. You're, you're, you're wrong. It's amazing to me how just a few years ago, I felt like we used to be able to have a disagreement and still be civil. Um, we don't get to do that anymore with online. No, no, all civility is out. Well, hey, we used to be able to disagree with, you, with each other and still have dinner. We used to be able to disagree with each other and still share a meal and still love one another. But that seems like, and it's even modeled in our government today, that if you have a different opposing view to the way we want you to think, that we handle our disagreements completely different today. Today in the culture, if you have a disagreement with me, then you hate. You're a hater. You hate me and I hate you because we disagree. And we can't love each other because we, we disagree. Disagreement is the same as hate today. And yet I'm like, what would the scripture say about that? What would Jesus say about that? And I'm reminded of Mark chapter 10. You know the story. The rich young ruler. Do you remember what happens there? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus, knowing exactly who he was and knowing that he was a man of great wealth, says to him, you have to sell everything you have and follow me. And after a little exchange there, the end of the story says that the rich young ruler left Jesus and walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. There's a disagreement with Jesus there. To the point that the rich young ruler turns his back, walks away. So, hey, I don't agree with that. Now, some people make this argument, well, Jesus told him to take this vow of poverty, you know, to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you can inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, his argument was, I'm keeping all these other laws. And Jesus says, hey. And a lot of people, like, like, get caught up on that. They're like, oh, it's a vow of poverty to really follow Christ. I'm not sure that's actually what it, what it meant and what Jesus' intentions were. I mean, I think it would be good if you sold everything you had and gave it to the poor. If you were wealthy and you shared it with others, I think it would be awesome. But what I also think is that Jesus didn't want this rich young ruler to be owned by his stuff, to be owned by his possessions. I think that was more the principle and the heart of what Jesus was trying to say here, is I don't want your stuff to own you. And so get rid of it, and then you can fully follow me. Get rid of your stuff. Don't let it own you. Be more concerned about me and not all the stuff that you're acquiring and all the payments you have to make and all the stuff. Just focus on me. But he gets into that and he walks away. They have a disagreement. And you think, gosh, well, Jesus, man, you know, it wasn't very loving, was it? But then you read Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and it says, in this exchange, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Completely disagreed with him. Completely wrong to the point the guy's offended and walks away. But it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Church, Christians, this is how we have to treat the culture today too. We got to look at them. You know what that means? God, Jesus knew. Jesus saw him for what he was and who he was. We got to identify. We got to know. We're, we're smart people. But he looked at him and he loved him. And, and I guess the message I want to get to you here is that you can disagree with someone wholeheartedly on every level and you can still be loving toward them. Okay, the culture may not say that, you may not ever hear that or see it lived out, but you can still treat them with respect as a fellow image bearer, whether they're walking with Jesus or not, and you can still show them love and respect. James 1, 
One, James chapter 1, 19 and 20 is a great reminder to this. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen. We've gone over this before. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Okay, listen first. Whew. Count to 10, take a deep breath. You know, before you just, woo, you know, you're going right after the person. It says, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm gonna slow all this process down. Quick to listen, we're gonna listen. Make sure they feel heard. Slow to speak considering our words and our return, and slow to become angry about it because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So remember that as you're countering the culture today. And I'm going to end with this. I'm, I can't and I'm not going to call something right that God calls wrong in Scripture. And I think Christians and God's church today should do the same. Don't try to skew or change something to fit us. Something that God calls wrong in scripture, don't try to make it right so we can feel better about our sin. I'm not going to edit something the creator God said out of fear for what the creation might think. Now I know there's people and there's churches that do that, but we're not gonna do that here. We're called to not conform to the pattern of the world, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so we will always stand on the word of truth. We're not going to water it down. Not going to try to, you know, oh, it's, you know, oh that, you know, that's, that's okay when it's not okay with God. But at the same time, we're going to do all of this standing on the truth with love. That's why I love that when it talks about that in the New Testament, it talks about truthing and love. Truthing and love. That's what we are called to do as Christ followers. And I don't want anyone here this morning or online with us today to walk away from this and feeling dejected, feeling like there's no hope, feeling like I, I'm a mess. Or maybe you're even just like, I'm just kind of like the rich young ruler. I disagree. I know God said that stuff and I hear it, but I, I don't know. I just disagree, I need some time to process. I want you to know that God is still in the business of loving and meeting people exactly where they are. He will meet you right where you are, right in whatever you believe right now, but he's still also, he's still also in the business today of transforming lives and changing us. Not to be more like the culture, but to be more like himself, more like Jesus. If you are one of those today that feel like, man, I'm just feeling, I don't know what's next. I, I, I really don't. Then I would offer you this. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, the one that denied Jesus three times, yeah, he was preaching a sermon in Acts chapter 2, and the crowd heard the message just like you heard a message today. It says that they were stricken to the heart. And let's just read it. Let's just read what it says. Acts 2.37 says, When the people heard this, this sermon from Peter, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, you have to remember who this crowd is. They just crucified Jesus. And this wasn't like years ago. This was like 40 days ago. We hung him on a cross and crucified the Son of God. They just realized it. We're so sinful. We're so horrible a people. And, and so they hear this message. They're cut to heart. And Peter they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And Peter replied this, hey, repent, 
which means turn away from your sin and go a new direction in your life. Repent and be baptized. The washing, the symbolic washing away of your sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Anyone ever feel far off? It's part of all of our story. <laughs> Once we were all far off. This is for all who are far off, for all on whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation, <laughs> this corrupt culture. Those who accepted his message were baptized in about three thousand were added to their number that day. Three thousand people that were sinners and that were feeling lost and that were following the crowd, following the culture, yelling crucify him. And the funny thing about that is we find ourselves there too. That some of us, yeah, we're in that crowd and we're yelling at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And yet Jesus dies willingly for us on the cross of Calvary to offer us newness of life. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're outside of Christ Jesus, your process is not, hey, get better, quit sinning and come to Jesus. Your process is come running into the loving arms of Jesus and he will help transform you. You'll never get it right the other way around. No one, no one comes to Jesus who's worthy they come to Jesus because they're ready to surrender. And they're ready to say, enough. I need Christ because I need change.